This morning, I'm uh, looking forward to what Michael has to uh, to share with us, um, and uh, um, I might just pray if that's okay. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a uh, a loving God. Thank you that you are a God who uh, who saves. That you're a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of grace. Uh, Heavenly Father, this morning. As Michael comes uh, to uh, speak to us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide him and lead him. I pray that uh, you would speak clearly through him uh, and that uh, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, um, Just if you'll bear with me a moment, I'm just going to take a a second to set up. (laughs) I'm not sure, is that? Is that about right? I'm not sure if I'm going to be seated in the right spot or not, but I I chose to sit this morning um, partly because I really feel uncomfortable behind a lectern. In in my mind, it it creates a sense of authority that I just don't feel I have. Um, And I know that when I'm on a stage, uh, I tend to walk around a lot, and that is going to throw a leash out with the camera. So I've elected to sit and hopefully that'll stop me from walking around too much. Uh, this morning, um, I kind of want to start by apologising to Brooke and to Mike because during the week they asked me uh, what I was speaking on and I had a topic um, and they went and they prepared based on the topic that I gave them. And at about 9.30 last night, I, uh, I went, no, nah, this is not right. And... <laughs> And it all went out the window, and uh, I called my dad, and uh, I was like, Dad, it's 9.30 at night, I'm speaking tomorrow, what on earth am I going to do? And he, he threw some ideas around, and he said, Mike, maybe, maybe you just need to go for a walk. So I layered up with about 14 layers of clothes and hoodies and everything else, and I did a, a quick walk around Kerrang, and I started, and, and I was walking and I went, you know, tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to turn up and just sit there and go, I'm sorry, people, I've, I've got nothing. Um, and so while I was like that, I thought, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just tell my story. So uh, this morning I'm just going to share my story. Um, I, when I tell my story... There's many things that I could include. I, I think that I've had a, a really fascinating life and, and I can pick and choose, but uh, so many different things depending on what I want to draw out. But this morning, I don't want this to be about me. I don't want it to be about uh, sort of some sense of drawing sympathy from, from people um, or to glory how what sort of a life I've had. But I'm hoping that in sharing, this might be meaningful to some people uh, and what they might be going through. So to start my story, I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. And my, for a number of people who have met my mum and dad, um, they can, I, I have fantastic parents. And I consider myself extraordinarily blessed uh, and fortunate for the family that I grew up in. It was a Christian home, and I went to a Christian school. And growing up, I didn't know, uh, I, 
I didn't know what it was like to not know God. Everything about my upbringing included God, and God was just part of everything I knew. I remember when I was about three or four, my dad would sit in the corridor in our house, which was about halfway between my brother's bedroom and my bedroom, and he would sit there and he'd tell us stories or he'd explain things or he'd answer our questions about God and all sorts of things until he got sick of it, I think, and told us to turn out our lights and go to sleep. But one night, I, I don't know how we got onto this, but one night my brother asked if Dad could walk through him giving his life to God and asking God into his heart. And and from my bedroom I could hear what they were doing and, and my dad went in and... And he, and he talked at, um, my brother Peter through asking Jesus into his heart and praying the prayer and, and everything else. And when they'd finished, I was like, I want that too. Uh, so I said, Dad, Dad, can you come in here and go through it with me? And he said, Mike, it's getting a bit late. How about we do you tomorrow night? And I remember lying in bed going, that, that, no, that, I can't wait until tomorrow night. I'm going to do it now. So I just repeated what I'd heard them go through in my brother's bedroom and I asked Jesus into my heart. And the next night, Dad came back and he was like, so Mike, do you still, do you still want to do it? And I was like, it's too late, Dad. I've already done it. <laughs> so, so, and the reason I go into that is because it, all through growing up, Christianity and God and trusting in God has always been a part of my life. In my teenage years, um, I remember people coming and speaking at church or speaking at our youth group that had had horrible upbringings and gone through terrible things and how they had experienced life without God and what a marvellous thing it was to know God and this incredible story that they would tell about how they came to know Jesus. And I remember sitting in the congregation going, oh man, I wish I had a story like that. So... Um, I, I think that there's, there's a perception that, that some people's stories are better than others and, and things like that. But I, I've, I've come to realise that my story may not necessarily be for non-Christians. Maybe my story is more for people who know God and, and, and are going through a, a, a story not like their, those, those others. Um, when I was about 17 or 18, I'd, I'd, I was going through college and I'd finished college and I just had no idea about what I wanted to do with my life. I, there was no real sense of, I'm going to be an engineer or, or anything like that. And I remember telling lots of people, I just want to do what God wants me to do. If God would just show up and say, Mike, I want you to be this, I'll go and do it. And he never did. And so I got a job. I got a job uh, working in a post office. Um, but uh, I've, I've skipped ahead a little bit, I'm afraid. When it, growing up, there was a lot of expectation uh, around what a Christian boy would be like and lots of Christian-esque type of rules and things. And I didn't realise it at the time, but I had developed an incredibly strong anxiety. Um, I had got to the point where uh, if the phone was ringing, I could not pick it up. I was that scared of it. 
Um, I remember being at uh, at Carol's by Candlelight one time, and I think I've actually told this story. Being at Carol's by Candlelight, and my candle blew out, and the couple that were like two metres over there had their candle burning, and I could not bring myself to lean over and ask for them to light my candle. I was that scared of them. So um, I just wanted to paint a little bit of a picture about that because I'll come back to it in a, in a minute. Uh, when I was about 19, I met a fantastic girl. Um, just to rewind a little. Around, you know, there comes a certain point in a teenage boy's life where he would like a relationship. And talking to a number of mentors in my life at that time, the sorts of things that were going around were very much, well, you need to be very specific with God about who you want to marry. Uh, they didn't use this language, but it's that sort of shopping list type of idea. Um, so I went home and I, I, I wrote out on a piece of paper and I, I prayed and I said to God, all right, God, I've got a list. This is the things that she must have. And these are the things that she must not have. And God, if you're feeling generous, these are the things I'd also like. And, and I prayed that way for probably about 12 months and I met Vanessa and God must have been feeling generous because she had, she met all of the list of must-haves, she met all of the list of must-not-haves and she met all of the lists of what I would like and she was my whole world. And because I'd been praying for it and because I'd given God a list, and he brought Vanessa into my life, I was convinced that this was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. This was the, the one that God had given me. And although we'd never talked about marriage, that was my assumption, that in due time, that was just the direction it was going to go in. And just before uh, two years of going out with her, she decided that the relationship was not for her. Um, looking back, that moment radically changed the trajectory of my life and it led me to ask some pretty big questions and it took at least 10 years for me to pick all the shrapnel out of my heart because the way that it had come together that was what I saw as what was just meant to be. And it made me ask some pretty big questions about what God was doing in my life. Um, at about that time, I realised that Tasmania was far too small for the two of us. And I decided that it was time to spread my wings and see the world. And through contacts that I'd made a few years before, I decided to pack my bags and go to England, leave home, and I was going to go and see the world. And I got on a flight and I flew all the way over to England and I spent all of six hours in immigration before England decided that I should not be in England. Uh, and I flew all the way home. So I got to 
see the world turned into London Heathrow Airport. And that was it. Before I knew it, I was back in Melbourne with no ticket back to Tasmania. Uh, and I had never lived in Melbourne. I knew nothing about living in Melbourne, and I didn't know anyone in Melbourne. Uh, fortunately, my parents knew some people, uh, and I ended up staying in, in Melbourne. Um, and since then, uh, I have worked as a postal services officer, a waiter, an architectural model builder, a prototyper, a photographic model, a television actor, a furniture salesman, a counsellor, a chaplain, and a part-time photographer. So, I'm not sure why I put it right there. But suffice to say, a lot has happened in the 20-something years that I've lived in Victoria. Through all of this confusion, my anxiety got the better of me, and I actually started to suffer some pretty significant health effects. And it took about three years. It did take three years for a brilliant counsellor in the Dandenong Hills to convince me uh, that God loved me. Uh, that I was okay and that it was okay to believe in myself. And when the penny dropped, it really dropped. Um, and that's why, like, when I spoke last time, I spoke about who, I, who we are in Christ because that is so core to my message is how powerful, when the penny really drops, about how powerful that is. Um, and I came away with that um, with a renewed sense of confidence that I'd never had in my life. I knew who God was, I knew who I was, and I knew the relationship between us. And out of a number of other conversations with my counsellor, we started to realise that I had a skill set that ideally lent my, me to working as a counsellor as well. So the story about how that came about is one night I was lying on the floor in, in my parents' study in Tasmania at Easter and uh, I was giving God a violent monologue. I was really ticked off because there had been another relationship that I was looking forward to and that had gone sour and I was giving him a piece of my mind about what I thought about his interaction and his providence in my life regarding a partner. And right in the middle of the monologue, I was giving it to him, both barrels. And I remember being stopped dead in my tracks and a question just popped into my head. And it was simply this, how are you going to love my people? And my first response was, what's that got to do with anything? And a second question followed it up, which was very similar. How are you going to care for my people? And it sort of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. And uh, I sort of sat there quiet for a few minutes before I got up and, and did something else. But about a week later, 
I didn't. This is this is where I didn't, uh, at this point I didn't have any work, and I was looking for work. And and um, as somebody had given me a day's work as a painter, a house painter, and so I did a day's work as a house painter. And no offence, Ewan and Andre and any other house painters out there, I hated it. I loathed it. And I was driving home from that day's work, and I was just again monologuing in the car I can do better than this I don't have to put up with this rubbish I'm better than that I could do a counselling degree if I wanted to and then it suddenly made sense so I went back to my counsellor who I was seeing at the time and I went oh this has happened and I, you know, I think God is really sort of trying to indicate that this is what I'm meant to do but I've looked into it and there's no, there's, you know, there's no Bible colleges out there that teach counselling as a degree. But when I've looked into it, it's only things like a counselling unit as part of a ministry degree or something like that. And I don't, ugh, I don't want to be a minister. That's a terrible idea. Um, and so, by the way, that's before I met Bob. <laughs> um, so, and so I was telling him this, and he went, well, as it happens, Michael, Tabor College of Victoria, who's 10 minutes' drive from where you live, they do a counselling degree. So within three months of that happening, I'd signed up and I'd started my degree in counselling. I studied it at Tabor for seven and a half years, uh, doing it part-time at Bible College. Um, and the first three years, I absolutely loved. It was fantastic. I was learning about psychology. I was learning about counselling. I was learning about how humans behaved and, and how much pain people were in and, and how much it, I just had this real heart for people and, and wanting to be a part of their journey and helping them through so much and, and all of that sort of stuff. The second three and a half years were awful. And it's because, um, basically, my faith was torn to shreds. Now, at this point in time, I want to sort of step in and just qualify thing about Bible colleges, because I know that they have a bit of a reputation for destroying people's faith. And I can't comment on what other people have gone through, but I want to explain what I went through, uh, and, in a, in a, and in a way defend Bible colleges. Because this particular Bible college, it was not about um, it was not about destroying people's faith. The goal was not to do that. The goal was to challenge people to actually have a basis for what they believed, rather than just accepting it because that's what they were taught. But what happened for me is this lecturer questioned me about this, and I didn't have an answer. This lecturer questioned me about that and suggested things that I'd never heard of before. And this conversation with this person challenged me about looking through things in a different lens. And this conversation with a, a, a trusted friend of mine made me or opened my understanding of everything to do, to do with how we know what we know. Writing a paper on the relation or uh, the differences between objectivity, relativity, and subjectivity tends to be a bit of a mind-bender. And I got to a point where one day Bob could see that 
I was not travelling well. And we went out behind the library at Table College and we sat on the grass and I just broke down. I burst into tears. Um, and he was like, what do I do? But I remember saying to him, I just can't do it. I can't do all the stuff to live up to the expectations of what a Christian is and I can't get my head around all of these things that I'm learning and I can't put them together and it's just too much. And for about the following five years, I... pretty much put everything I thought I knew on a shelf. And I remember saying to a, a, a lecturer at one point, Rowan, I think at the moment the only reason I'm a Christian is because I don't know how not to be. And he said, Mike, as weird as this might sound, this is actually a really good place to be in. And I'm still trying to figure out how he saw that. But um, that was where I'd got to. There's a writer in the something century, uh, a fellow by the name of St. John of the Cross, um, who writes about what he called the dark night of the soul. <clears throat> and he talks about this idea of, of, of questioning the assumptions and the beliefs that we have and getting to a point where if we pull away all those things and inspect them, we get to a place where we don't, we can't really be sure of anything. And, and it can be a really dark place to go through. Um, and going through it is horrible. But he talked about how he got through the other side and how much stronger his faith was in a way that he could not have explained it before or to others. Um, and I feel like that period for my life was very much going through a dark night of the soul. Because when I moved up here, I wasn't sure that God actually existed. Um, and I moved up here and I was angry. I was angry because I didn't have a wife. I was angry because um, I wanted to do counselling with adults in the city and he gave me counselling kids in the country. I was angry at my whole world being torn apart and I was angry at people saying wonderful Christian things and platitudes that meant nothing. Uh, and I was walking around just with a real sense of nobody gets what I'm going through. I think Kerrang! is still too close to be able to see it in hindsight. Um, but I think my time in Kerrang! has been one of healing. I used to liken what I went through as being my whole world being exploded into a million pieces and I was waiting for all the pieces to land. I tend to think that they never landed. Um, well, they haven't landed yet. Um, and I've kind of come to the conclusion 
that I'm not here because I held on to God, but more probably that God never let go of me. And I'm not really sure where that's going to go yet. Um, but I kind of wonder whether or not that's maybe why I'm telling my story today. Um, maybe somebody out there is struggling with their world. Maybe you're struggling to see where God is in your life and trying to make sense of it all. Maybe the platitudes aren't helping you anymore. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and God hasn't answered the way that you'd hoped. Maybe you're feeling like you're the only one going through it and everyone else is more spiritual than I am. Um, And I guess I just wanted to say there are no easy answers to our Christian walk. God often doesn't behave in the way that we think he should or would or maybe even the way that we've been taught. And I think it's okay to wrestle with these things. In fact, I kind of think that we need to. I'm learning to trust God again in a new way. I didn't think I was going to cry. It's a way that's far more raw and far more fragile and so much more in doubt and confusing. Somehow it seems stronger and somehow it seems more reliable. So I don't know where the future is going to take it to go. I can't be... I can't give you any platitudes or answers. I can tell you about my story and what I've learned. And I can sit with you as you go through your story and the rest things that you've got to wrestle with. And sometimes I wish that there was the easy answer, but there isn't. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to sit in that pain. And I think it's okay to wrestle. And I think I need to leave it there. Hmm. I'm just going to pray. Father God, you know our hearts and you know our pain. And you know how frustrating it can be to live life. And I imagine that Jesus, when you walked in this earth, you got very frustrated and you got very confused. And I don't think it could have been easy to live the life that you did. And so if we can take any comfort from it at all, I guess maybe it's just that you've experienced this life and that you can walk it with us. Lord, I pray for those people, my friends and family here in Kerrang, that might be really struggling with things.
and I hope that you never let go of them. In Jesus' name, amen.